Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Simply Talking podcast with me, Mike, from Sim Racing 604. This is episode three. We have another special guest today, and that is Steve, a.k.a. Super GT. You know him. He's been extremely popular and successful on YouTube for many, many years. And uh, Steve and I talked about a lot of things in terms of the growth of his channel and his success over the past decade, as well as things going on around sim racing and in racing in general. So another great chat. Uh, this is my first time actually talking to Steve and uh, yeah, I had a great time with this chat and I look forward to talking to him again in the future at some point. So enjoy the show and uh, I will be back with more podcasts very soon. All right, Steve from Super GT. How are you, man? Yes, very good. Very good. Uh, a pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. So I want to jump right in. we got quite a lot to cover here. The first thing I want to ask you about is something uh, that I was super proud to see. I've been a fan of your channel for a long time. And um, to see you leverage that success and that sort of popularity, fame, whatever you want to call it, to help other people is amazing. Uh, you recently did a trip to the Philippines for a very special reason. Uh, can you tell the listeners a bit about how that came to be and exactly you know, uh, what you were able to accomplish in the Philippines? Yep, sure. So two years ago, a bit of background, I did 200 laps of the Nürburgring Nordschleife on Gran Turismo 7, which is the longest race you can do on that game. It took near enough 28 hours, and it was a very, very difficult challenge, as you can probably imagine. And in the process of doing that, um, we raised £25,000, and I donated it to the Philippine School Project, uh, a charity which builds or helps build schools in the Philippines and helps provide equipment and scholarships and things like that. Uh, so very recently I flew out there to see the work that they'd done and it was very humbling. The, the pupils at the schools were very, very um, thankful. They, um, they were very, very keen to be at the school and, and to be educated. And it was really good just to see, you know, the positive effects that um, people from the sim race community have managed to create um so it was a really really cool trip i'll have a video on my channel about it very soon um but yeah it was very very um it was it was nice i think when you go on youtube and you know you get a following to be able to harness that in a, in a positive way is i don't know it just it was just one of the best things i've ever done honestly it was it was really really good to do that it's so amazing, man. And I think I speak on behalf of the whole sim racing community when I say we're we're proud of you and uh, appreciate all your hard work on that, man. Um, but before your before that level of success and you're able to give back, there was a, a building process, and no one has an easy path through YouTube, is what I find. And um, one of the first videos I remember watching of yours was how you I can't remember exactly what you titled it, but it was how you transitioned YouTube into a full time job. And uh, it's funny because it came to me right when I was considering doing the same. But as you know, it's very difficult to do, um, and I wasn't able to do it, but uh, you did. Was there a moment, was there a period perhaps in your YouTube, let's call it a career, where you knew like, oh yeah, this is gonna work? Like how, what was what was sort of the, the point where you realized you were onto something and you could make this work as your full-time job? Yeah, there's there's quite a few moments. It is a difficult journey and it's never, I think it's never certain. The thing about YouTube is that um, it fluctuates a lot 
And so there's a lot of uncertainty with whether or not you can do it as a full-time job. It is always a big jump to, to make. So anyone who manages to do it has done a good job and has taken a brave step. There are a couple of uh, moments. I, I, I do remember going to a trip in New York. It was for a Forza esports event. And then there was a YouTuber called The Slap Train. And at the time, I would say he was... I mean, he's got 2 million subscribers now, but at that time, so sort of 2017, he was the biggest guy in playing racing games. And he said to me that he believed, based on what he saw on my channel, that I could go full-time. So that was like a nice positive message from him because I didn't really believe it myself at that time. Um, but then I suppose, you know, we have to bring it in, which is finance. There was a month I had, it was December 2017, where I earned more from YouTube than I did from my job that I had at the time. So I suppose that, you know, I, it's, it's annoying to have to boil it down to money, but that is ultimately how you have to survive. So um, I, had a, I had a really good month, December 2017. I thought, wow, okay, this could work. This could, like We're not far away. Like Maybe the slap train, he was right. Maybe if uh, I push a bit further... Go a bit go a bit more then we could make full time and six months later that's what happened i handed my resignation resignation in at my job and that was it i, I was full-time youtuber that's very cool man i didn't know the slap train had been uh, a part of that journey um and then sort of a follow-up to that and i asked jimmy the same question jimmy broadbent he was my last guest what do you think has led to your success what do your viewers see in you specifically and uh the, the reason i ask that because i'm a youtuber as well and i know that there's people who come through youtube who are super talented at video editing super charismatic and even they can't make it work like it, it doesn't work for everybody it doesn't it, it, it's a very difficult thing to figure out, but why do you think so many viewers keep coming back to you specifically? What do you offer them? Wow, it's a good question. I think um, for my channel, certainly in the earlier days, we're talking maybe 2013, 14, 15, those sort of days. Um, I think the way that I spoke in just a very calm, monotone demeanor, it was a bit contrary to what was being made on YouTube at the time. There's a lot of very shouty, in-your-face content. So I think I offered something different at that time. That's probably what helped the initial growth. Um, there's always these things like consistency, putting content out there regularly and on a consistent basis so people know what to expect. There's always that. But I think more recently, I would say the comments I get would probably be along the lines of they like the way I speak, the commentary, the voice. I think a lot of it is that um, you know, a lot of people even they don't watch the videos. They listen to the videos is, is a comment I get a lot. Um, people who are learning English like to uh, listen to the videos because they they like the way that I speak the language. Um, and then, then there's the humor element. I think I sprinkle in quite a dry, sarcastic British humor which I think is appreciated by quite a lot of people. So I think I think it's a mix of those things, the way that I speak um, and the humor that goes along with it. That's cool, man. And I, I often find that people who get into YouTube, 
don't have a plan. Like they just get into it, they start streaming or they hit record and they put it out there. And then before they know it, they have a few thousand followers. And there's never like a plan associated with it. But do you have a plan moving forward? I mean, you're, I think, fast approaching a million subs. And I'm sure there's, you know, well into nine figures of views. Um, what's the plan moving forward? Do you intend to get back to or keep on with streaming or or where do you see the channel going over the next let's say year yes yeah so firstly i think you're dead right i think when, when i mean when i first started there was no plan you just you upload him because it's for fun uh if anything i mean for when i started i was just uploading it so that i could watch it back it wasn't really for anyone else it was just for uh, i i i'll enjoy watching that at least there'll be one view um, but yeah, you do have to, I suppose, over time when it gets a bit bigger and a bit more serious and you get more viewers, you do have to start uh, thinking about it a bit more seriously and putting plans in order. So for me, the the year coming up, you know, last year I did a lot of real life racing. Um, this is something that we've seen, you know, Jimmy Broadbent's done this very well, of course, with Praga. But myself, we did, um, I've done racing MX-5s and Radicals last year. We're going to look to try and broaden that this year 2023 so more real racing um i've done a lot of karting as well in the last few years so more kart racing more car racing but the thing that you know really is the fundamental baseline of my channel is is sim racing and i want to really get back into that properly um because i think i took a little bit of a break at the end of last year didn't make as much content and i stopped streaming uh, about may last year so I want to get back properly into making a lot more content, streaming and videos. Um, I do have a plan of, of how that's going to happen. I'm still trying to work it all out at the moment, but I think uh, very soon we're going to probably get back into a lot more sim content and a lot more real content as well. Good for you, man. And when I got into your channel uh, a few years ago, I, I sort of associated you with two games primarily, which was uh, Forza and, and Gran Turismo. And the racing game fan base, we're, we're, we're kind of a fickle bunch. We, we uh, you know, we like to complain about the games we play and the games we supposedly used to love now don't. And I'm just curious, uh, being as into the Gran Turismo world as you are, if you were appointed as director for uh, uh, GT8 and they said, you know, Steve, we want to keep the elements of Gran Turismo in place, but we need you to turn this back around and uh, make us the perfect Gran Turismo game. Uh, so what things would you keep from GT7 and what things would you overhaul looking into future titles? Wow, uh, I'd love to have that power. Um, okay, I, I think I think Gran Turismo Seven it started off a bit shaky, but it's it's got to a much better place now. But definitely, there's uh, room for improvement. Let's say for GT Eight, whenever that may come out. I think um, overhauling the online experience is is a side of the game that it's a side of the series that Polyphony don't really expand on too much. Um, we, you know, we do have fairly basic daily races and uh, championships going on in the game, and then we have a pretty good esports series with Gran Turismo. So the esports, I think that's good. We can perhaps try to incorporate some more prize money and things into that. I think that'd be good. But with the game, um, I, I think the content. Um, what I would like to see more of is sort of 
um, past previous content, like old old tracks from like the the previous games, Gran Turismo One, Gran Turismo Two, and Three and Four. Um, there's lots of tracks in those games that just aren't in the new one, which I think which would be a really good addition. I think um, tracks like Grand Valley, um, just these really old school circuits, Autumn Ring. There's there's so many Seattle uh, Midfield Raceway, all these great tracks that sadly are lacking. Um, and we've kind of been teased. I think it was Apricot Hill in Gran Turismo Seven, but it just hasn't hasn't arrived. The game's nearly a year old. Um, so I think a lot of players are kind of looking at GT7 and thinking, you know, when's this content coming? Uh, so I think a lot of, lot more old school tracks, a lot more, there's just so many, so many more tracks to be added, like Silverstone. There's just lots of tracks that aren't there. Um, and I think just a new set of race cars, um, you know, like GT3 cars are sadly like lacking that they're, they're all sort of 10, five, 10 years old, the ones in the game. And I think they could definitely have a massive overhaul of that. That's certainly something I would like to change. Get a fresh set of GT3 cars. Um, maybe the new LMDH cars that are coming out um, at Le Mans very soon. So just a fresh set of of, uh, of cars, but then the older set of tracks. For me, that would be the two big things. That's awesome. And on the Forza front, <clears throat> Excuse me. On the Forza front, I, I'm not so much a Forza player, but I know uh, I think it's Motorsport 8 that's been teased recently. And uh, what are your expectations for that based on what you've seen sort of trending uh, within the, I guess it's Turn 10 Studios um, and, and sort of their priorities? Do you have high expectations for Motorsport 8? I'm going to stay very, um, I don't know what the right term is. I'm not going to get my hopes up too much. Because it's been a very long time since the last Forza Motorsport. It's been five years or more than, about five and a half years since the previous one. So you would have thought with that much time that they could bring out a very good product. And I'm hoping they do. But I'm not going to get my hopes up too much. The trailers we've seen so far are giving me Vietnam flashbacks, I must be honest. Because they tend to focus very heavily on graphics and you know fidelity in that sense and therefore this is this is something that we've seen in previous games and then those games didn't quite work out as they should have done so i'm not going to get my hopes up too much at this point just i hope with the time they've had that they can do a good job and some of the things i've heard from uh, chris Asaki, uh, particularly uh, particularly um, gives me some confidence that they're going in a bit bit more of a sim direction which i think is a is a good move to distance itself a bit more from forza horizon just make it a bit more bit more proper motorsport game uh, which it deserves i think that's awesome yeah i like you i'm, I'm hopeful because i just haven't been able to sort of get over the hump of, of forza motorsport like it seems to be I don't know, the elements of Gran Turismo. I grew up with Gran Turismo, and it seems to have some of those elements, but it hasn't pulled me all the way in, so hopefully 8 will do it. Um, just two more questions for you uh, before we get into the discussion topics. Um, one of the things I, I find uh, compelling about your social media is that you hang with Lando Norris, and uh, that to me is wild. Uh, so this is a, a just a straight fanboy question. What is Lando like to hang with? Like, is are you 
keenly aware at all times that you're in the presence of a superstar? And is there, you know, constantly people asking for autographs and, or is he just Lando? Does he quickly just become one of the guys? To be honest, he's just such a normal lad. Like you don't feel like you're in the presence of like a global megastar, which he is. You just feel like, oh, it's just Lando. He's just, he's just my mate. He's just like uh, a funny lad. Um, it's really good to to hang out with him on the rare occasion. You know, it's not as uh, much as I would like. Uh, he's a very busy person, as you can probably imagine, being a Formula One driver and uh, not living in England anymore, um, where I live. Um, but yeah, he's a really good guy to hang out with. Recently, we recorded a video at Butmore Park. We were karting in a. We all dressed up as Mario Kart characters, and we all had a big race. So things like that are really, really good fun. And, you know, being part of Quadrant, um, which Lando created, uh, it, it gives some really good opportunities. Um, we, we filmed a video a few years ago where um, it was just me versus Lando, 1v1 in a kart race. And that kind of video is just so rare on YouTube. You don't really ever see that kind of video of just someone interviewing and racing an F1 driver, just them two. Um, so some great opportunities. And, it, and it's really good fun to, to hang out with Lando and make videos with him. That's cool. And final question. I know you're an F1 fan. I think you were, were you at Abu Dhabi 2021? I was, You yes. were, yeah. That, that yeah. totally uneventful race, right? Nothing, nothing <laughs> happened. Nothing newsworthy nope. came of that. Um, so we'll end on a fun one here. Um, so FIA relaxes the rules and you're allowed three drivers on your team. Okay. You'll, sorry, you'll field three cars and you have access to every driver in F1 history. Okay. At their <sighs> peak. And you're going to field three. You need one that uh, is going to get you a qualifying lap. So fastest driver over a single lap. Two is a race driver. The one who's likely to defend positions when needed, overtake when needed, and bring the car home safely. And your third driver is your long-term guy. You have to sign him or her to a five-year contract and has to represent the team well and be consistent over many years. Who are your all-time three F1 drivers? Okay, so the first one for the qualifying lap, that would have to be Ayrton Senna. I think there, there's not been a faster person in a car ever. He has to be the best qualifier. I know there's, I know Hamilton has more poles, but I think in terms of sheer outright speed, Ayrton Senna, no doubt about that. Then number two, I would pick Hamilton because I think he is just a very well-rounded driver. Good, good, good qualifying, good race pace, good consistency from race to race, but through a race as well. Overtaking, I think he's defending could do with some work. Probably hasn't had to do too much of that, but <laughs> um, yeah, I'll pick Hamilton second. And then the third one, just someone to represent the team for a, a long time and just do a good job and be a good driver, it would have to be Michael Schumacher, I think. I think those three, Hamilton, Schumacher, Senna, it'd be really hard to see past those three for me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that brings the interrogation part of this podcast to an end, and we'll uh, just talk about uh, some topics that are going on. Um, some of these are kind of fan-driven. I put this out to Twitter, and some of yep. our uh, our followers got back to us with some topics. So um, I'll let you go first on each of these three. Um, 
first one, the role of esports in the future and the growth of sim racing. Um, so, I mean, I think the, the Gran Turismo uh, esports has been fantastically successful and it's amazing to see that. Uh, but on the other side of it, you have like the recent R Factor 2 and uh, uh, iRacing I don't want to call them debacles, but controversial events. So um, just curious your thoughts on how important esports is to the growth of sim racing, or is it going to be more of an organic growth outside of those high-profile esports events? I think it's really hard to say. I think it's a re for me, it's a really mixed answer. I think on the one hand, a lot of people will look at sim race, uh, sorry, big esports tournaments like the Gran Turismo one, or now ESL with the big prize money and things like that, and be like, wow, that's really cool. I really want to get into that. I want to be on the stage performing and winning. Um, I think that will get people into into sim racing. But I think for the most part, sim racing, people just want to get into it because they just want to race and drive cars at their own level. And it doesn't have to be at the absolute pinnacle top level. And so I think for the most part, Sim racing grows just because people want to get into it, aside from esports. They don't really want to compete at that kind of level. They just want to get into it for fun. Um, but yeah, I, I think there have been too many of these uh, weird debacles, as you say, within sim racing. I think that uh, within esports, and I think it hasn't always been a good look. I think a lot of, let's say, casual people who are looking in from the outside, not really understanding what it is, would look at some of these tournaments that are going on with these weird um, sort of hacks or you know driving half on the grass to cool your tires down on iRacing and things like that. And yes, it might be the quickest way to drive a car on that sim, but it kind of just isn't a good look overall. And so I think esports, as much as it helps, it also hinders. It does both. It's, it's kind of a weird thing for me. Um, it's a good thing that it's there and it's a good thing that brands are putting money into it um, because they see some sort of potential for the future. That's a positive thing, but it can definitely clean up its act, I think. It needs to just be a lot more clear and more simple and more approachable, I, I think, because sometimes I think someone who doesn't really understand too much might watch it and not really be able to engage with it too much. They might not understand it. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm totally with you. I I feel the exact same way. I'm I'm kind of of two minds. I think it's really important. Like the the Gran Turismo World Finals, for example. Like it's such a well organized event, and it looks professional. And you have these drivers that are unbelievably talented. Because Gran Turismo is something. You know, I'm thinking GT Sport and GT Seven specifically. Um, two titles that are very recent in our minds, and and millions of people around the world have played them. Um, you know, R Factor Two can't boast that same level of, you know, uh, sort of everyday layman engagement, um, but Gran Turismo can. So you kind of get that uh, sense of how good these people are. It's just like if you grew up watching, I was going to say soccer, but I'll say football. Um, if you grew up watching football, playing football, you can appreciate how good the people in the World Cup are, right? Like they're just 
capable of things that you are not is this is the simple answer and i think that we have that with gran turismo as well on that world final stage so it's good to have that profile of that level of expertise um but at the same time it i feel we can't depend on it like we need to just make the everyday uh, uh sim racing more accessible you know try and bring the cost of gear down as much as possible so that people don't have to spend thousands to sort of replicate what they might see at the world final but uh yeah Broadly speaking, I'm kind of of two minds. Next topic. Um, do you feel the racing game sector has stagnated? And um, the reason I came about this question was because I was thinking about asking you the questions about GT8 and about Forza Motorsport 8. And it looks like there's a trend of um, developers kind of playing it safe on most mainstream titles like um need for speed unbound was slightly different you know it had that sort of uh, unique look to it um but overall it was still very much fundamentally the same thing we've been getting for a long time from the need for speed series and it just seems like there's a bit of relaxation from the major studios in sort of their their upcoming titles do you feel it's stagnated or is that just uh a, a sort of a, a narrow perception of racing games no if i'm completely honest i think it has a bit it definitely has i i, I just seem to remember a time in the past let's say 10 15 years ago where you just always hear about some new racing game that's coming out and you just don't really hear about it anymore i think you get gran turismo you get forza you get lots of big titles but i'm not really seeing a lot of the smaller titles coming out which could offer something different and fresh and I don't know, I, I look at Codemasters games, let's say with um, their recent iterations of Grid, for example, I think they haven't, they've tried to go back to this version of the past and remake it in the present and half-heartedly do it, and it hasn't really worked. And they did that, was it with, even with Dirt 5, like that series I think has gone downhill big time. Uh, one, two, and three were incredible, and then four and five just completely lacked imagination. Um, same with the Grid series; the first one was really good, and then the recent ones I don't think are all the, are quite there. But yeah, I think there's there's a bit of a, a lacking of new, fresh, different titles, and I think the titles that do exist, you could say they're they're kind of just going along the same road and just doing the same thing over and over again. So yeah, I think we do need something fresh, something different. It would be great to see some different titles coming out, um, which, you know, something like Rensport, okay, I haven't really played it yet, but at least it's something different. I, but the, but then again, you, you could argue, you look at it and it's still just another GT3 simulator. So yeah, we need more. We, meet, we need different things. We need more. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think it, a lot of it falls to the consumer, unfortunately, because I think the trend right now, well, I don't think, I know the trend right now is to get early access to a game. People are paying more to get, you know, three days early access and people are pre-ordering all these games. And I think people should realize the power of their purchase and vote with their dollar. And it would be great to see the trend go back to, you know, waiting for the, you know, reviews from people like yourself, reviews from, you know, somebody like a, a Jimmy Broadbent or IGN or whomever, and wait and see what the reviews are before you buy. Because the, the developers know that they're going to sell the next 
and I don't mean to pick on them, but you know, they're going to sell the next need for speed. They're going to sell the next F1 game no matter what, because they're going to sell so many of them before the game is even released. It doesn't have to necessarily be good to do big numbers. People aren't going to wait for the review. They're going to buy it no matter what, just based on the, the series history and, uh, yeah, hoping for the next you know, hoping that the next iteration is going to be so much better. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping the consumers sort of move away from this trend of pre-ordering and wait for reviews. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you bring up the F1 series there and that's one I've got to talk about, but that for me, it's just the same game. It is the, it's the FIFA of the racing game world. It's just the same game with the, the new teams and the new drivers. And they're not really innovating in any way. I mean, the most recent one, the biggest innovation was F1 Life, where you can buy sofas yeah. for, for the main menu. And I think if that's the biggest innovation in the F1 series, then it's just not good enough, really. Uh, they need to overhaul the physics. They need to change like so many things on that game. Even the graphics are outdated, I think. Um, so, yeah, the lots of series are just... They're going to get the sales, but they're not really innovating or you know improving. Yeah, exactly. All right, final discussion topic um how important do you feel because i can see a wheel in the foreground there when i'm talking to you and i've got my yep. own wheel here um so you and i have these fancy rigs how important do you feel it is for people getting into sim racing to have good hardware for um uh, you, you, they don't need it to be successful obviously but for enjoyment and, and, and immersion and engagement um do you think it's important for people to have a good wheel and pedal set you know what? I don't think it is. I I think this is something that so many people overthink. I get this in my comments a lot, um, particularly on videos where I've shown my setup. And, you know, this is my job, so I'm going to spend money on it. But I urge people all the time, you really do not have to spend a lot of money to get good enjoyment from sim racing. You can just buy a basic Logitech, basic pedals, whatever, and have 98% the fun that I'm having. Well, 100% of the fun that I'm having, but with most of the realism still. Um, so, yeah, this is something that most people overthink. You really do not have to go into, you know, into the thousands of dollars or pounds to get the best equipment to enjoy it. You just really do not have to do that. Yeah, and um, uh, to me, I sort of... Um parse sim racing into two groups one uh going for speed and you know to be competitive and the other one for immersion and i think if you belong to the latter group which tends to be quite frankly older people like myself and in that case if you have the money and not going into debt and this is something you want to enjoy um yeah by all means there's a lot of great hardware out there that can really pull you into the experience you know i sitting in a motion rig at this time and it, it feels amazing and and it costs you thousands of dollars but it's so good but i i definitely don't think that everyone should do that i think if your goal in sim racing is to be competitive maybe you come from a racing background or maybe uh this is just an, an outlet for competition for you i, I think you're absolutely right steve that a, a logitech g29 found used in, in your local newspaper uh can get you 98 percent of 
everything you need. Like there's, and there's the good thing about sort of, I don't want to, well, yeah, I'll just say common hardware, like a Logitech G29 is that there's so much information out there on settings. So you can get this thing absolutely dialed in based on thousands of other users around the world who've shared their own experiences and they can get you, you know, exact settings for your particular SIM and even down to the car and track. So you can get a lot of enjoyment out of some very, you know, uh, common hardware. Exactly. I think um, if there's one thing for certain about those who really like to get into sim racing is that we have a very fine attention to detail. So you can go online and you will find people who know everything about that wheel that you've got. You can find the best settings and away you go. You don't have to, you don't have to overthink it too much. Yeah, exactly. All right, just two more questions for you, Steve. Um, these are submitted by fans. Well, there was questions about... Uh, if you think you'll be able to outperform Logan Sargent this year, but I'll leave that one alone. Uh, inside joke, I'm sure most people get. Um, what is your favorite American race series? That's a good one. Um, now, for me, it would have to be IndyCar. IndyCar, I think, is a really cool series. I do enjoy watching it. I think um, the caliber driver is very good. I like the tracks. I like the way that they race. They race pretty close. They race closer than F1. There's more overtaking. There's a mix of oval racing, which I actually enjoy. I think um, there might be the stereotype that, you know, only Americans like oval racing. No one else does. But I actually really enjoy Indy. Uh, like the Indy 500 is an incredible event. I love watching that. Um, NASCAR is something that I don't really watch. Um, we don't really have access to it too much. I mean, maybe on YouTube. I should probably just have a harder look for it. But I actually enjoy um, oval racing and just the tactical element of it. So a lot of American racing, I don't always watch it, but I do really appreciate it. Um, but for me, yeah, IndyCar is, is the one series that I would say I regularly watch it. And that's my favorite American series. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's incredible. Um, I was hoping Motorsport Games would come through with a proper IndyCar game, but it doesn't look like that's going to materialize. So. That's too bad. And by the way, if you ever get a chance to watch the Indy 500, I was there in 2019. Mm. Absolutely incredible live. There's like 300,000 people in that uh, venue and uh, it, it's amazing. So if you're ever looking for an overseas trip, I highly recommend it. And final question, um, people want to know what an average week of content creation looks like for you, Steve. Well, if you look at my channel recently, it's been very quiet. So let's not go with the most recent weeks, but when I was actually uploading a lot more, um, often on, I mean, on a Monday, the new daily race will come out on Gran Turismo. So it would be a case of getting up early, uh, learning those races, getting quick on them, recording content quickly, and then live streaming on the Monday night. Um, so a lot of it is often recording over the course of one or two days and then spending the next day or two editing that and then uploading it. Um, so it's a mix of, I suppose a lot of it is the editing, um, and getting a thumbnail. I'm sure you'd appreciate that as well, that, um, you know, the recording process is maybe like less than half of the overall time to get a video done. Editing takes up so much of the time and that's mostly what you spend a lot of time doing a lot of, um, late nights. So for me, for example, I like to work quite late into the night rather than during the day. I don't know why it just feels better for me. So I often um, record late afternoon into the evening, into the early hours um, and do that most days. But 
Um, I suppose, you know, on the side from that, there's all there's also other content, um, also other engagements I have to do like with Quadrant, other recordings, I have to go into London to record videos. Um, and then thinking about other things, just like all your finances and lots of things in life to get on with, you know? So um, content creation is a massive part of my life. It's my job and that takes up most of my time, but there's a lot of other things to do as well. Uh, going to the gym, seeing my girlfriend, um, going for a drive in my car, going shopping, you know, all that stuff. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot, basically. I think there's no, other, no two ways about it. Um, it's quite a busy and hectic life, but um, I wouldn't change it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much, Steve from Super GT. Really appreciate your time. It was great talking to you, and I uh, hope we get to do this again in the future sometime. Lovely. Thank you so much.